a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast about what is going on in the world, and there's no one better place to host it than this gentleman, Dr. Keith Souter, expert on all things international. Throw anything at him and he'll give you a full background for it, and he's really good at just breaking it down and making it very easy to understand. Um, he's got a couple of PhDs in international politics and relations and has been a media commentator for many years, and we have worked together for many years, Dr. Keith. My name's Kate Mack. Today we're actually talking about the Indo-Pacific. Now, this has been quite a controversial area for a number of years now. Australia's involved in that area. China is heavily involved in that area. You've got big players like Vietnam and then the Pacific Islands, Keith, and everyone wants to have control of that area, right? So... And then we've got the English going to be coming and playing a role, <laughs> which is, seems very odd. I know. America's so, involved too, by the way. <laughs> so what's happening is this is a um, very interesting discussion paper from um, the Future Directions organisation based in Perth, Western Australia. I've been associated with it. I've got to declare an interest for some years. It produces excellent material, particularly covering the Indian and the Pacific region. And, and here in Sydney, we tend to focus a lot on the Pacific, but we overlook that there's also a, a huge ocean to, on the other side of the country, the Indian Ocean as well. So the, the future directions is be, very good giving a global view. Now, this is an article by a person with a very difficult surname to, pr- to pronounce. So it's Patrick <laughs> Triglavichetan, uh, I think, Lavacine. It's called The United Kingdom Returns to the Indo-Pacific. And the the background to this is that Britain has voted to leave the European Union, but it doesn't know what it's going to do instead because the European Union has not only been an economic arrangement, it's also been a political arrangement and it's helped to shape Britain's foreign policy. If you go back to World War II, the British like to think that they were involved in three circles. One was the British Commonwealth and Empire. Another one was the United States. And they said they had a special relationship with the United States, thinking back particularly to World War II and Prime Minister Winston Churchill and uh, President Franklin Roosevelt. And then thirdly, you've got the relationship with Europe. Now, what we have seen in recent decades, particularly since 1973, has been the expansion of the British involvement in European affairs, what started out as a common market and we now call it the European Union. And so Britain has now voted to leave the European Union, and it has not yet worked out what its new role will be. Now, the slogan that the British government uses is Global Britain, but it has never set out what it means by Global Britain. It's it's a good slogan, Global Britain, but it's not a strategy. So the UK government has now uh, produced a defence white paper uh, looking at the way in which Britain intends to return to the Indo-Pacific region. So I was working in the war office in the 1960s when we got out of the what was in those days called the east of Suez. So you have the Suez Canal and then to the east of it, you've got places like India, the Indian Ocean, ultimately back to mainland Asia like China, uh, Hong Kong, etc. And Britain was, was broke after World War II and Britain was gradually pulling out of its commitments overseas and eventually in the 1960s said, we're going to pull out entirely from east of Suez. So they then got out of all of their defence arrangements, as far as we can see, 
and we had no troops. Britain had no troops or military forces deployed east of Suez. And that's what Britain has been in for the last few years, really focused on a few decades, focusing on what was going on, particularly in Europe. Now Britain has got itself divorced from Europe and is casting around for a new role in the world. It's clearly not going to be a major imperial power because the Commonwealth has gone. The Commonwealth still maintains its connections from the point of view of intellectual cooperation. For example, I'm um, involved with the Commonwealth Partnership for Technology Management, which is the mobilisation of technology to assist economic development. So you have all these informal networks and you have a Commonwealth Universities Network and all this sort of stuff. But there's no way that the United Kingdom is going to be able to reassert its political role over countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, etc. That era has gone. So the UK then has to find this new role for itself. And so the British government is saying, well, we are now going to focus on Asia. Asia is clearly where the future of the world is going to be based. If you look at the countries that are the amongst the biggest and most important in the world, three are in Asia, so it's China, India and Japan. So Britain is saying we want to get far more involved with with China, not to support China, but to simply work with our Western allies in opposing China. So the, the full document issued by the British government is Global Britain in a Competitive Age, the Integrated Review of Security, Defence, Development and Foreign Policy. And so what it's trying to do then is to say to the countries in our region, sorry, we've been away for a few decades, we've been focusing on the Europeans, now we've got shot of the Europeans and we want to focus far more on uh, the Indian and the Pacific regions. So that's what this document is really hinting at. And so the British have identified Russia as the biggest security concern and they call that an acute threat. But also China is labelled as a strategic competitor and it identifies the Indo-Pacific region as increasingly becoming the globe's main geopolitical centre and how the UK will be the most engaged European power in this region, militarily and commercially, by 2030. So the British are coming back. The Germans and the French, the Italians, they're bogged down in, in Europe whereas the British are freed from Europe and are now moving into uh, this area of operation. In military terms, what the British government intend to do is to have HMS Queen Elizabeth, the Royal Navy's new aircraft carrier and an Allied task force. They'll be deployed in this region from uh, later on in this year, and that will demonstrate the UK's ability the jargon is, ability to project cutting-edge military power in support of NATO and international maritime security. For the record, NATO is North Atlantic Treaty Organisation and we're nowhere near (laughs) the NATO field of operations. Uh, But anyway, uh, so they're, they're having a problem, I think, working out where their geography is. But what is interesting is the way in which the British government is now just seeking to work with other governments. Um, A very specific thing is the Group of Seven meeting. So the G7, as it's called, G stands for group. The G7 set up 40-odd years ago were then the world's major economic powers, 
coincidentally, they're all Western countries. So it's the United States, um, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, Italy. Um, they, they were all, and Britain, of course, they were all the, the major countries. And this has continued to be a talking shop from one year to the next, and it rotates around. So in June of this year, the British government is hosting the G7 summit conference, and Mr Johnson, Boris Johnson as Prime Minister and host, is saying, well, we are going to invite Australia, India and South Korea to join that G summit. Now, that's a great honour for Australia to be invited to this um, conference China, by the way, is still no longer a member, is still not in the G7. You know, if you were really sensible about what constitutes the G7, you'd have to include China, but China doesn't get an invite. Uh, Instead, the UK is inviting its friends, Australia, India and South Korea. And so after a long gap, the British are sailing east again. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about the British getting back involved with the Indo-Pacific region, which is quite an unusual sort of concept, Dr. Keith. Yep. It is a very unusual concept in the sense that most people, if you're a dinosaur like (laughs) me, you can remember when British troops were spent around the world, but that bankrupted Britain. So then Britain said, we're going to get rid of all of our overseas commitments as far as we can. We will focus on Europe. We will try to maintain a friendship with the United States. What is interesting is that Donald Trump got on very well with the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, but Joe Biden is much more hostile to Britain uh, and to Boris Johnson. So Joe Biden is a great believer in the European Union, which, of course, President Trump was not. Joe Biden has got Irish roots. If you're an Irish, if you're an American politician, it always pays to have Irish blood. <laughs> Biden has got Irish blood. And, of course, one of the worries that we've got with Britain pulling out of the European Union is the resurgence, which we see at this very moment, the resurgence of violence in Northern Ireland. It hasn't got back to the level that it was in uh, under the Troubles, as they were called, and which finished with the Good Friday Agreement. But the Good Friday Agreement was assuming that both countries, the UK and the Republic of Ireland, would remain within the European Union. So there is no border between the UK and the and the Republic of Ireland. Well, now that Britain has pulled out of the European Union and the Irish, which went in with Britain into the European Union in 1973, the Irish have said, no, we're not leaving. We're doing very well, thank you. So we now, therefore, have to draw a border somewhere. And that, that debate is still continuing. Do you draw it across the top end of the Republic, of, of the island of Ireland, or do you put it in the North Sea? If you put it in the North Sea well, then you're in effect handing Northern Ireland over to the Republic of Ireland. So it's a really controversial topic. The people who supported Brexit really had not thought through the full consequences of a British withdrawal from the European Union. Joe Biden, the the American president, is a supporter of the European Union and has got Irish blood. And so he has very little sympathy for the British. So, you know, the Britain likes to talk about this special relationship that it enjoys with the United States, it doesn't have a special relationship. The only two countries that have a special relationship with the United States are Israel and the Republic of Ireland. They're the only two countries that really have a a tight special relationship. 
So Britain finds itself going back to its three circles that I talked about earlier, the United States, the empire, and Europe. So in the case of the United States, the Americans are saying, we don't regard Britain as a particularly significant partner now. They, the British were important in World War II, but not now. And so in a sense, Britain has, cannot reinvent that relationship with the United States. It has been badly damaged. And pulling out of Europe has damaged it still further. So that's one that doesn't work. Another one that doesn't work is the Commonwealth and the Empire. As I've said, the Commonwealth is good for the point of view of uh, economic cooperation, social cooperation, educational cooperation. After all, I'm, I'm living in Australia because I came out under the British Commonwealth Research Plan. That's how I did my first PhD and I've just stayed on. So um, I'm obviously a great believer in Commonwealth educational cooperation, but there, there's no scope for political cooperation. You're not going to recreate the empire that we had in the 19th century where you had Britain at the centre giving instructions to the, the Australians, the New Zealanders, the Canadians, the Africans, the Indians. That era has gone. That can't be recreated. And, of course, Britain has also poured out of Europe. So Britain really finds itself alone in the world and it's not quite sure what it's doing. So what, it, what it's trying to do is to say, well, you've got people who don't like what the Chinese are getting up to. Therefore, we're going to get involved in standing up to the Chinese. But at the same time, they need the Chinese as a trading partner. They would like to have more money going into the United Kingdom to enhance the investments in the UK. So you can't have it both ways. Are you going to treat China as an enemy or as an investment partner? Remember, this is a dilemma that we've got in Australia. Is it your investment partner or is it going to be your strategic competitor? So that's a problem. It, it, it's a way of uh, trying to appease the people who supported Brexit by saying Britain's going to go it alone in the world, it's this new global Britain, and Britain will seek to enhance old relationships with liberal democratic powers, etc., by, of course, countering a, a rising authoritarian communist state in China. But I'm not sure at the end of the day what Britain hopes to get out of all of this. So we're going to see British sailors here in Sydney. So we, we will see a British naval presence, but I'm not sure exactly what's going to be achieved. Is it just this. Su looking to support America in a quite controversial part of the world? Well, it is, and that's, of course, the risk that they run. You know, that if you look at, say, Australia and New Zealand, Australia is seen by China as being very pro-American and periodically they beat up Australia, as they're doing at the moment, with mm. keeping out Australian wines, etc. The slogan is that you kill the chicken to scare the monkey. So you kill Australia to scare the United States. Right, that's the monkey. On the other hand, you've got a country like New Zealand, which doesn't get involved in any antagonistic activities with China, and they maintain good relationships with China. And no doubt, once uh, the borders are reopened, you're going to get more Chinese visiting New Zealand. So we've really got to work. That's a challenge for us. But the British are getting into the same mess. Do we go onto a war footing with China, getting ready for the big showdown? And, of course, one of the ironies is that um, President Xi, as he reworks the global economy, likes to boast about the way that China is the centre of this global economy. You can get on a train on the east coast of China and you can go on that train all the way through 
the giant Eurasian European landmass and get off the train in East London. Mm. So that's how China is knitting the world together. And what are the British doing? They're sending an aircraft carrier into the Pacific. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds quaintly 19th century, you know, what used to be called gumboat diplomacy in the old days. And the Chinese realise the future is financial rather than military. Mm. So I think there are real challenges. The British have got to be seen to be doing something. Remember, they've pulled out of the European Union. There's a lot of criticism in the UK because they had not thought through all the implications of Brexit. We see that with the tragedy that's unravelling in Northern Ireland at the moment. But it's also the bigger question of, well, what is Britain's role in the world today? Mm. And how does Britain enhance it? Um, And Britain has produced this white paper. I agree with uh, the author of this uh, discussion document, which is available from Perth, Future Directions International. The writer is Patrick Triglav... Still can't pronounce it. (laughs) Don't even try. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the Future Directions website. Brilliant little document. Really gets us thinking about what is going on in the world at the moment. So it has a limited number of, of naval assets left to defend Europe in case the Russians start getting into bad behaviour. Remember, Russia is, is feeling a little more aggressive towards the rest of the world. Um, the, and, of course, the, uh, with climate change melting in the polar ice cap, the Arctic is becoming the new Mediterranean. Mm. You can sail more easily and you've got immense resources down on the seabed, which you can now get to because the ice is gone. So you can imagine much more competition that's going to be emerging between the countries. Um, meanwhile, where, where the British got their ships? They've got them in the South Pacific, enjoying the sun rather than up in the North Pole. And, of course, you've also got the, the problems back home in England. Uh, with all the problems that they've got, recovering from COVID, et cetera. They need the money at home and they've got a fancy new aircraft carrier floating around in the Indian Pacific region. None of it makes sense. None of it, you're right, none of it makes sense. And um, I think that for the UK, this is a tragic example where they failed to think through the implications of Brexit. They made a major policy change. It is a huge, it's a dramatic change in Britain by pulling out of the European Union, they just have not thought through the full implications of that. So it's a it's a new interesting chapter for British history, and, and particularly think, the reappearance in this region. And I think also one to watch just to see how diplomatically they, t- they handle the next couple of years, Keith. Absolutely, because they're not handling the current one very well. So this is the Future Directions International. Um, Patrick Triglavichin, still not pronouncing his name correctly, He's been a little more balanced. He's not quite as critical of the UK as I am. Um, but it's a very interesting document available from the Future Directions International website in Perth, Western Australia. Listener.